everyone, and welcome to another edition of Best of the Left Podcast. Today we have clips from Tom Hartman, TPM TV, The Young Turks, and the new Liberal Oasis Radio Show. Hi, this is Josh Marshall with TPM Media. It's Tuesday, September 25th, 2007. You may not have known it, but most likely today, Tuesday, the 25th of September, the United States Senate will vote on an amendment to authorize war with Iran. Now, the amendment is actually called the Kyle Lieberman Amendment, and on the surface, it seems pretty innocent. It's an amendment authorizing the U.S. to take whatever steps are necessary to stop Iranian meddling, destabilizing in Iraq. But here's the thing, the Kyle Lieberman Amendment actually sounds a lot like something called the Iraq Liberation Act, the ILA. Now the ILA was passed in 1998. It was passed at a key time when President Clinton was particularly weak because of the Lewinsky scandal. And what it was, it was put together by the Iraq hawks at the time, the neocons. And what it did, it put the United States on record as supporting regime change, quote-unquote, in Iraq. And it passed a relatively small amount of money, about $100 million, most of which went to Ahmed Chalabi and the Iraqi National Congress. Now, here's the thing, and the key to understand here is that this is exactly the way the neocons operate. This new amendment, again, isn't that much in itself, but it's a process of laying the groundwork by a series of legislative enactments to make a war with Iran more and more inevitable. Again, this is just what happened with the Iraq Liberation Act. If you remember back in the build-up to the Iraq War in late 2001, 2002, 2003, one of the big things people said is, look, it's already our national policy to support the overthrow of the Iraqi government. Even President Clinton was for it, so what's the problem? And again, that's pretty much what they're trying to do now with the Kyle Lieberman Amendment. Now, let me read you the key text of this amendment. And this is the part comes after a series of sort of a bill of particulars against Iran, all the things they're doing wrong in Iraq. And here it says what the United States Senate is authorizing. Let me read it to you. It says, it should be the policy of the United States to combat, contain, and roll back the violent activities and destabilizing influence inside Iraq of the government of the Islamic Republic of Iran, its foreign facilitators such as Lebanese Hezbollah and its indigenous Iraqi proxies, to support the prudent and calibrated use of all instruments of national power in Iraq, including diplomatic, economic, intelligence, and military instruments in support of the policy described in, in paragraph 3 with respect to the government of the Islamic Republic of Iran and its proxies. Now, you look at that, there's a couple ways you can read those two paragraphs. One is to say it just focuses on things specifically inside Iraq, but the reference to Lebanese Hezbollah means there's actually a much broader interpretation too, and that means that the U.S. should basically be at war with all Iranian proxy organizations in the region, which includes Hezbollah in Lebanon, includes Hamas, arguably, in, uh, in the occupied West Bank and Gaza. It, it, it actually authorizes the use of force against a lot of different actors within the Middle East, not just within Iraq. The second point, again, is to look at that language. It talks about 
diplomatic, economic, all this kind of stuff, but the key is it authorizes whatever is necessary to achieve the ends noted, including military force. So what you have here is really a carte blanche allowing pretty much everything to stop a very broad and ambiguous list of bad acts by Iran. So watch out for the vote today. Depending on when you're watching me right now, you may even have a chance to call your senator and say how you'd like them to vote. In all likelihood, this is going to pass by a big margin because people feel like if they don't vote for it, it'll seem like they're soft on the Iranians sending IEDs and various explosive material into Iraq. So unfortunately, this is probably going to pass by a big margin. But again, the things to keep in mind are it's the exact same people who laid the groundwork for the Iraq war. And the purpose of this is to put in place a series of legislative building blocks to eventually make a war with Iran inevitable. Well, there's, there's a lot of people pushing back on this, this, not just this particular executive order, but just this whole idea that the President of the United States has powers that even King George III didn't claim. One of them is Paul Craig Roberts. Paul Craig Roberts is an economist, nationally syndicated columnist. He served as the Assistant Secretary of the Treasury in the Reagan administration, earning fame as the father of Reaganomics. We've got to have a conversation about that sometime. He's the former editor and columnist for the Wall Street Journal, Business Week, and Scripps Howard News Service, and was a former contributing editor to William F. Buckley's publication, The National Review, writing over at counterpunch.org. Uh, he has a new piece out that uh, I wanted to talk with him about. Paul Craig Roberts, welcome to the program. Hey, thank you, Tom. Or I should say welcome back. We, it seems we talk about once a year and a half for the last three or four years. Uh, good to have you with us. You are, as a conservative, I, I, last time we talked, you were a Republican. Uh, first of all, do you still both wear those labels? Um, <clears throat> I don't think I'll ever vote for another Republican, no. Okay. Uh, you you are in your in your column a couple of days ago. You said, and I and I quote from the first sentence. I'd like to use this just as the stepping off point to find out your thoughts on all this stuff. You say, unless Congress immediately impeaches Bush and Cheney, a year from now the U.S. could be a dictatorial police state at war with Iran. That's those are very very strong words, sir, coming from a former uh, Assistant Secretary of the Treasury in the Reagan administration. Well, I don't actually think they're very strong. Uh, <clears throat> I get a lot of flack that they're understated and the situation is is worse than I say. Uh, consider, for example, um, the executive order you were reading from uh, before we started talking. Um, you realize, of course, uh, um, when Bush exercises this authority, which I don't believe he has, um, there's no check to it. 
uh, it's not uh, it doesn't have to be ratified by Congress. Uh, the people who bear the brunt of these uh, dictatorial police state actions have no recourse to the judiciary. Uh, so it really is um, a form of just total uh, one-man absolute uh, rule. Now, most Americans will say, well, I don't have anything to fear. I'm not doing anything wrong. Uh, if that's the case, uh, Tom, why did the founders write the Constitution of the United States? Did, did they write it only for people who were doing things wrong and had things to fear? So the American people uh, don't really understand the danger that they face. And they also don't understand, Tom, that by any normal political calculation, as the Los Angeles Times pointed out yesterday in the article, Bush, the Albatross, where Ronald Brownstein just reminded everyone of conventional political information, which is that, to quote him, unpopular presidents, have consistently undercut their party in the next election. 88% of voters who disapproved of the retiring president's job performance voted against his party's nominee in past elections. On average, 80% mm. of voters who disapproved of the president's performance have voted against his party's candidates, even in House races. Now, um, the article goes on to point out that given Bush's dismal approval record, rating where he stands, uh, it's a total wipeout for Republicans in 2008. And uh, numerous pundits have used these well-known political facts uh, in support of the conclusion that this is the reason the Democrats have not brought a halt to Bush's follies or the war because they expect his unpopular policies to provide them with a landslide, landslide victory in next year's election. So uh, everyone, if you look at conventional wisdom, uh, Bush makes no sense. Cheney makes no sense. Now, the problem is reasoning is it assumes that Cheney and Rove and the Republicans are ignorant of these facts, or it assumes that they are content for the Republican Party to be destroyed after Bush has his fling. After and you consider neither of those to be, you know, reality. Those are not reality. So what this tells anybody who's paying attention that it's much more likely that Cheney and Roe have in mind events that will once again rally the people behind President Bush and behind the Republican Party that is fighting the war on terror that the Democrats want to lose. So that's what we're headed for. I mean, you, so are you, certainly you and your listeners don't believe that the Republican Party has decided just to self-destruct so Bush could have his his uh, ego fling. I mean, that's, or that Cheney could, <clears throat> uh, you know, act like a fool for eight years. It's, something's in the works. And when it happens, whether it's uh, authentic or whether it's uh, orchestrated and staged, all of those uh, executive orders are uh, are implemented. They go they're implemented just like that, and they go far beyond the ones that you quoted. They they essentially create a dictatorial police state in which Congress and the judiciary have no roles. You have the emergence in human society of this thing that's called the state. 
What is the state? The state is this organized bureaucracy. It is the police department. It is the army, the navy. It is the prison system, the courts, and what have you. This is the state. It is a repressive organization. But the state, and you, well, you know, you've got to have the police, because if there were no police, look at what you'd be doing to yourselves. You'd be killing each other if there were no police. But the reality is, the police become necessary in human society. You know how we think, organize the hood under our chain banners Red, black, and green instead of gang bandanas FBI spying on us through the radio antennas And I'm hitting cameras in the street like watching society With no respect for the people's right to privacy I take a slug for the cause like Huey P While all you fake niggas try to copy Master P I wanna be free to live, able to have what I need to live Bring the power back to the street where the people live We sick of working for crumbs and filling up the prisons Dying over money and relying on religion for help We do for self like ants in a colony Organize the wealth into a socialist economy A way of life based off the common needs And all my comrades is ready, we just spreading the seed The other strain of radicalism in the Middle East is Shia extremism Supported and embodied by the regime that sits in Tehran Iran has long been a source of trouble in the region yeah, long trouble, a long source of trouble. I have authorized our military commanders in Iraq to confront Tehran's murderous activities. And Iran's active pursuit of technology that could lead to nuclear weapons threatens to put a region already known for instability and violence under the shadow of a nuclear holocaust. We will confront this danger before it is too late. There's no end to it, man. So here's my... I want to do a very specific prediction here, okay? Here's my prediction. Bush and Cheney are going to try to start this war. I'm not saying it's definitely going to happen. What I'm saying is, when they start, there is going to be a historic showdown. Or there isn't going to be, okay? So, so here's the funny part of the prediction, okay? Either Robert Gates, the Defense Secretary, Condoleezza Rice, who is the Secretary of State, and uh, the Joint Chiefs of Staff are all going to bow their heads and go, yes, sir, anything you want, sir, let's attack Iran, sir. Or they're going to say, no, not on my watch. This is a terrible and disastrous idea, and a number of people will resign. And then at that point, there will be a tremendous amount of pressure, and we'll see if Bush and Cheney can actually manage to do it or not do it. If there are any men of courage at all inside this administration and inside the military, they will stand up when Bush says, push the button, we're going to war. And he is going to say it. Okay, He is going to say it. Because right now we're not trying any diplomacy. If we were trying diplomacy, I would listen to the other side and say, hey, you know what, this is just part of gaining leverage and it's part of normal negotiation. You rattle your saber, you get the guys to the table, and you get them to agree to what you want. But there's nothing to agree to. Bush isn't asking for anything specific. They say don't make nuclear weapons. Iran says, check, I'm not making nuclear weapons anyway. In fact, Iran, a couple of days ago, uh, reported in a small, small, small story in the Associated Press, not mentioned anywhere else, agreed to work with the IAEA. They're the, they're the nuclear weapons inspectors. They said, yeah, yeah, okay, sure. You know, 
You need to. You want to check in on this uh, this uh, theory that you have that we're making nuclear weapons come on and check. Okay. Now it's more limited. It's not completely broad, but it's a good step. And what did the U.S. do? Did they say, "Oh, okay, well, there's you did the right thing there, so let's give you a carrot instead of a stick"? No, no reaction because they don't care about the weapons program. It's all an excuse because there isn't a weapons program. There is a nuclear program. Whether five to ten years from now they'll turn it into a weapons program is a totally different question. And I don't trust the Iranians either. That's why if we had a president with any sense, they would threaten Iran with sticks and they would promise carrots if they worked with us and they would get a negotiated deal where we would check their nuclear program to make sure that it wasn't weaponized. And anything we had to do, maybe even shut down a nuclear program, that would be terrific. I want that. But this guy isn't interested in the nuclear program because he doesn't act like it. He doesn't, when Iran says, okay, we'll work with the IAEA in this degree, we don't take that as a good sign. We don't take it as any sign. We're not even paying attention. Okay? And then as far as them attacking our troops in Iraq, we already know that the Saudis fought 90% of the attacks on our troops in Iraq. So he doesn't give a damn about our troops in Iraq or who's attacking them. Making up, and then he says it, he said it in his speech, and we played it for you in the last hour. He said whether the Iranians know or don't know about the attacks on our troops coming from kind of from their region, they're responsible anyway. He doesn't give a damn about the troops uh, in Iraq because if he did, my God, man, if you attack Iran, what do you think is going to happen to the Shiites in Iraq? What do you think they're going to do our, to our troops and to our supply lines in the south? These British analysts, some parts of what they said made a lot of sense. Some parts made no sense. They said, oh, it'll be easy. No, the Shiites in Iraq, they won't bother doing anything to our supply lines. Are you freaking nuts? The Shiites in Iraq will go ballistic if you attack Iran. All of a sudden, you'll turn the entire country of Iraq, if it isn't already, first of all, it's already against us, but you'll turn them militaristically against us. You know, what do you think Muqtada al-Sadr is going to do with his troops if you attack Iran? You're going to have hundreds of thousands of Iraqis attacking what is not very many troops, only 160,000 troops in, in Iraq that we have now. This man is a madman. And I, I'm not just, Ahmadinejad is a madman too. But I'm talking about Bush and I'm talking about Cheney. They're going to try to start this war. The whole, And the Democrats aren't going to help. The whole country, the fact that we're against them, isn't going to help because they don't care. They have the levers of power. They're not going off for re-election. And they've already told you a million times they don't care about the polls or their popularity or democracy or anything else about this country. The only people who can stop them are people inside the administration and, and the generals. Now, in the Iraq situation, it was the first time we'd seen that movie, and most of the people gave in. A few brave guys said this doesn't make any sense, and then they were, of course, written out of the military or written out of the government, and their personal lives were attacked, right? But we've seen this movie before. If people do not stand up this time around, they have no one to blame but themselves, and they will have been an accessory to a grotesque crime. And it will be an international crime if we attack Iran. No question about it. It'll be a war crime. It, they did not in any way, and, and by the way, when they do this, when Bush and Cheney do this, they're not going to do it out of thin air. They're going to, but they're going to pretend that it's not out of thin air. They're going to say they're going to take any particular time that we were attacked in Iraq, and they're going to say, see, it was Iran. We have to respond. If we don't respond, well, how will they take it? It's actions. It's terrorist aggressive actions against us. We have no choice, and then they will attack, and they, or they will Try to. The problem is when they say that, 
it makes the Democrats will melt away, melt away. They're, they're not an issue, like I've said before. The question is, can the generals and Gates say, yeah, I understand you say we've been attacked, and yes, it's our troops, but I don't believe you. I think you're full of crap. I think you want to attack Iran all the way, and I'm not going to take part in it. It would take men of courage. Do we have those men of courage already inside the government? God help us all. I'm not sure we do. But we're going to, according to what I'm saying here, according to what I'm seeing from Bush, we're going to find out. Good luck to us all. Let's go to the phones. 866-303-2270. 866-303-2270. Let's go to Jim in Beaver, Pennsylvania, listening on XM Satellite Radio. Hey, Jim. Hello. I, I want to thank you for the great coverage you, you provide. It's, you give insights that no one else does. Thank you, Jim. I really appreciate that. I think that they should get, come back from recess and not recess anymore till the end of the presidency. And they should do, they should pass uh, articles of impeachment so that the generals will have a, an alibi for not following in the orders. They won't. They won't do any of the things you say. Uh, <laughs> I wish they did, Jim. I and I'm right there with you. But they won't do any of that. Uh, right now, you know what <laughs> is a perfect example. Look, you got to. Give the Democrats some credit, okay? I've been really, really tough on them for about a month now because they just keep crumbling wherever you look. You're like, you, they're like wet sandcastles. You touch them, they they just fall away, right? So, uh, you know, FISA, crumble. Iraq, crumble. You know, military commissions, crumble, okay? So what's happening with the attorney general thing? I'll, I'll tell you in relationship to this. Bush has said out, there's an article in the Washington Post this morning. He says, <laughs> I don't work with the Democrats. I'm picking the Attorney General. Attorney General, the Democrats say, hey, hey, work with us. You know how Clinton worked with you to get the justices that you were happy with? He asked Orrin Hatch, Clinton did, who he thinks should be the right justice for the Supreme Court, right? And they came to a mutual agreement. He said, so Democrats say, hey, work with us. I'm picking the next Attorney General. You know what Bush says to him? Yeah, F off. No interest, none. Washington Post reporting this morning saying, no, he will not work with the Democrats. He'll pick somebody who he wants to aggressively follow his policies. That's what he said. Okay. And what's the Democrats' reaction? Schumer and Feinstein say, well, we'd like to be conciliatory toward the White House and see if they'll still work with us. <laughs> okay. Good luck, big guy. All right. Good luck. Wait for that conciliatory, uh, to, conciliatory actions to come back around to you. I'm sure if you keep reaching underneath that stall, I'm sure they'll reach back. I'm sure it'll be just fine. You, you just wait for it. Wait for it. He's about to get conciliatory any second now. There's not going to be any uh, <laughs> reaching out. What do you? No, look. If you think that Bush is going to reach out to the Democrats or listen to anybody else, you're stupid. Okay. So Feinstein Schumer, I don't know if you're saying that for political reasons or if you believe it. But if you believe it, you're an idiot. That means you haven't paid any attention in the last six and a half years. And, and you're not paying any attention to what he's saying now. At every turn, he's saying, piss off. I have no interest in you. I have no interest in what you're saying. I'm not going to listen to you in the attorney general situation. I'm not going to listen to you in Iran. I'm not going to listen to you in Iraq. You know what Bush is doing this morning? Again, reported in the Washington Post this morning. He's asking for $50 billion more in Iraq. And get a load of this, okay? By the way, that's not for what he needs to fight the Iraq war next year. This is for $50 billion on top of that. He's already asking for, I think, about $167 billion for the war in Iraq, let alone over $400 billion for the Defense Department all next year. This is $50 billion on top. Get a load on this nerve. You know why? It's for the surge. And he says, since the surge is working, I'm going to ask for this $50 billion extra for the surge and take that and F off. Okay? And 
uh, he's going to do it right after Petraeus and Crocker give their testimony in Congress, and he's going to take the $50 billion and roll it up the Democrats' ass and say, all right, what are you going to do now, tough guy? And what do you think Democrats are going to do? Uh, hey, look, I hope they fight. And if they don't fight on that, then there's no, then forget it. Then I'm with the Green Party. I mean, I don't know, man. I got no interest in the Green Party, and I think a third party is a disastrous idea. But what are you going to do with these sons of bitches if they don't fight? But let's give them a chance. They did a good job in getting Gonzalez and Robe out of office. Credit where credit is due. Let's see if they fight on this. But if they don't start fighting this guy, and not the way they've been doing it, aggressively, will you f- take out a whooping stick and say, oh, yeah, you have $50 billion? Okay, why don't you take that $50 billion and shove it up your ass? Okay, because you're not getting it. No way, no how, under no circumstances. Are the Democrats going to do that? They have control of Congress. They begged and pleaded with us, with you, the listeners, to say, oh, please, 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 put us in power and everything will be different. Well, you're in power now. You have no more excuses. If you give that extra $50 billion for the surge in September, ah, forget it. Primaries against all of them. I, they're never going to get another nickel out of me or out of any of you. If they cave on that, you should. you would be an absolute and utter sucker to ever give another dime to a Democrat. Produced with the help of the members of the Best of the Left community. You too can be a part of the show and we would love your help. You can submit information about great clips you've heard, volunteer to help edit these clips for the show, or actually become an occasional guest producer. For more information, please visit the community at bestoftheleftpodcast.com. Hi, this is Josh Marshall from TPM Media. It's Wednesday, September 26, 2007. Yesterday we told you about the Kyle Lieberman Amendment. This is an amendment that would have opened, basically created a back door towards authorizing force against Iran. Now, yesterday there were a number of developments, some good news, some bad news. Now, first up, the good news. Yesterday, there was supposed to be a vote yesterday, but there was a lot of resistance based on some key passages in the, in the amendment. Now, if you, if you remember back to our show yesterday, I read two, what we said were the two most offending passages, items three and four in the amendment. And actually, those two were both stricken from the amendment that was finally voted on today. Senator Lieberman actually went to the floor today and announced that these two passages had been removed. Take a look. Because some of my colleagues thought that paragraphs three and four of the sense of the Senate may have opened the door to some kind of military action against Iran, Senator Kyle and I have struck them from uh, the amendment. That is not our intention here. In fact, our intention here is to increase the economic pressure on Iran and the Revolutionary Guard Corps so we will never have to consider the use of military to stop them from what they are doing to kill our soldiers.
So after that change took place, the, it, the amendment finally went to a vote just about an hour ago, a little, little uh, after 1 o'clock this afternoon, and the final vote can was 76 to 22. As you can expect, overwhelmingly Republicans voted for it, two voted against it, Senators Hagel and Lugar. Uh, the Democrats split about 50-50. Uh, Senator Clinton voted for it. Senator Reid voted for the amendment. Senators Biden and Dodd voted against it. Obama was not present. So by taking out that language, they took out the, the key language that really made this a de facto use of force resolution that was going to pass through the U.S. Senate. But what it left in place was designating the Iranian Revolutionary Guards, particularly what's called the Al-Quds Force, a terrorist organization. And this is what stuck in Senator Webb's craw, what he thinks is still the problem with it. He outlined again his objections shortly after Senator Lieberman spoke. Take a look. Senator from Virginia. Yeah, Mr. President, I, I have grave concerns about uh, this amendment. I spoke at length on the floor yesterday about them. We have never characterized an entity of a foreign government as a foreign terrorist organization. Uh, if we are saying that the Iranian Revolutionary Guards are conducting terrorist activities, what we are saying, in effect, is that the Revolutionary Guards are conducting military activities against us. This has the danger of uh, becoming a de facto authorization for military force against Iran. We haven't had one hearing on this. I recommended yesterday that the amendment be withdrawn so that we could consider it in the appropriate committees. And I would oppose uh, its passage and hope that we can get further discussions in committee. So you can see Senator Webb's basic point. He's got a number of problems with the amendment, but the key one that remains is the idea of designating a foreign army as a terrorist organization. Now, we have ways of dealing with hostile military forces and ways of dealing with hostile terrorist organizations. And you can be, just saying you're not a terrorist organization doesn't mean you're great, doesn't mean you're not a threat, but we have ways of dealing with each. And by mudding the waters between these two, it basically still allows the administration a much more permissive ground to start military action by considering what is, again, a foreign military force as a terrorist organization. So that's the bottom line. The news we brought yesterday, the key, key language in the Kyle Lieberman Amendment ended up being removed, and it passed overwhelmingly just uh, shortly after noon today on Wednesday. We'll keep you posted on ongoing developments. I'm Josh Marshall from TPM Media, and we'll talk to you tomorrow. Craig Roberts, yesterday we talked with Bruce Fine, and he was arguing that 
impeachment against Bush and Cheney must proceed immediately in order to rescue the Constitution in as much as the executive branch has taken on powers to itself that were never envisioned by the founders and, in fact, even exceed the powers that Julius Caesar and King George III took to themselves. That is, the power to reach into any nation in the world and seize people and uh, torture them, imprison them, whatever, without habeas corpus. You're making a slightly different argument. You're suggesting that the Republicans, and this is a little bit more of a political calculation, that the Republicans are not stupid, that they realize that they're going to go down in flames in 2008, and so something something terrible is going to happen between now and then to to uh, stop that from happening. Do I do I have that right? Uh, well, uh, that's what they keep telling us. Uh, Michael Chertoff, uh, the so-called Homeland Security uh, Director. And first of all, Bruce Fine is completely correct. I totally agree with him. Second, yes, um, uh, I go. Uh, I take one more step. I point out that administration figures themselves and prominent uh, Republican propagandists. Uh, uh, including and, and also the recent uh, intelligence uh, report, National Intelligence Estimate, are preparing us for another 9-11 uh, event or series of events. Uh, Chertoff has, uh, has uh, uh, predicted them. Uh, uh, Rick Santorum, the uh, former Republican senator, uh, said recently that um, that all this anti-war um, attitude of the American public would soon disappear after the next series of attacks that we were going to experience. And, of course, the National Intelligence Estimate is uh, saying that uh, al-Qaeda has regrouped as strong again and is sending operatives here to the U.S. to blow us up again. So uh, you have to count on the fact that uh, if al-Qaeda is not going to do it, it's going to be orchestrated because there's no other way to uh, pull the Republican Party's uh, bacon out, out of the fire. Just the other day, uh, one of the libertarian sites, Lou Rockwell, had uh, uh, this fellow, a Greek, pointing out that the Republicans are praying for another 9-11. It's the only way they, they can be uh, saved from uh, total wipeout. So- There are three huge things you can do to help support the show, but they only take a few seconds. Leave us a great customer review in the iTunes Music Store, dig the show on dig.com, and every month you can vote for the best of the left at podcastalley.com. Find links to all three of these most important sites on the right-hand side at bestoftheleftpodcast.com. Thanks for your support. We have a lot of you know, fires burning, if you will, throughout the Gulf region. 
Uh, we might bite some more. <laughs> we, we were might, uh, you know, and you had a piece in Salon.com this week, right? Um, why you believe Bush will not attack Iran? Right. Something that is uh, an issue people are very concerned about. Um, what is your uh, your thesis there? And is, does this mean that we should, you know, take a breather on this and focus on other issues? Yeah, Salon.com called me and they said, Steve, we want to do a pairing of people. Um, where one argues that we will bomb Iran and, and the others are arguing that Bush won't bomb Iran. And they asked me which one I wanted, figuring I would want the one that, we're gonna, that we are going to bomb Iran. And I said, you know, that I actually I don't think it's intellectually honest to argue that, because I think that the, the issue is when you look at the president, his posture, um, when you look at the frustration that we now know that some of the neocons feel towards Bush uh, and some of the neocons who work for uh, Vice President Cheney, those folks wouldn't be as frustrated and animated as they have been if they enjoyed the president's support. So I think, at a minimum, the president hasn't yet made that decision about bombing and that there's time to, to, for others to try to influence it. It doesn't mean I think Bush is as rational as he should be or that I'm not worried about that in the long run. What I do worry is I worry about people trying to trigger an accidental war, a war that would escalate very rapidly. Uh, and circumvent the president's national security decision-making apparatus. The two people who would most benefit from a hot conflict with Iran are Mahmoud Ahmadinejad and Vice President Cheney, because their political fortunes uh, in both in both political systems have been on the decline lately. Another conflict would would trigger, I think, a, a rise and would consolidate for Ahmadinejad the kind of power he doesn't enjoy inside Iran right now. So. I, I'm trying to get people to look beneath it, that, that it's not to be that we should in, endorse Bush's strategy, but we should embrace the, the effort to try and find a third option on Iran other than either appeasing its nuclear direction or, um, or bombing it, which I think would be really horrific for our interests. So if the jury's out on what George Bush will do, right. it still seems very clear that the neoconservative community led by Cheney is agitating for this. Absolutely. What do, and we should worry about that. And So what do we do? There's, there's this huge you know, propaganda. Them. Expose them. Expose them. Expose the idea. Um, I was involved last May and June in helping to bring forward something which I was very pleased the New York Times and Time and Newsweek validated uh, with some some comments, I didn't identify the individual, but it was David Wormser, who was uh, Vice President Cheney's deputy national security advisor, who had been expressing the the frustration that their team had with those folks engaged with the diplomatic course. They felt that they were losing the policy option around or policy debate around the president, and that they would have to end run the president and tie the president's hands to restrict the number of options on the table. And so this. And, and, and one of the ways that they were thinking of doing that was to nudge Israel to, you know, f- throw a kind of low-yield cruise missile, small-time attack at Natanz to try to prompt an Israeli uh, strike against U.S. forces in the region and thus, and, and thus end up in one of these fast-escalating uh, cycles. And I worry, you know, not that I'm worried that much about Israel. Um, I'm worried about any incident along those lines that might engender that sort of attack, because I sort of think the Al-Quds force would love an attack, would love to... Uh, Al-Quds is? Yeah, it is the uh, Iranian Revolutionary Guard, um, Al-Quds force is a, the, you know, the, the, uh, a military wing that Ahmadinejad in, in, in Iran is very close to, and I think it's questionable to what degree they're, they're controllable and what role they play um, on the Iranian side. But I worry a lot about a quick escalation of, of tit-for-tat um, 
hits. And I think that those people like Bob Gates, Condi Rice, uh, Josh Bolton, the the uh, president's chief of staff, are actually predisposed against you know a hot conflict with Iran. Want to try out lots of other options first. And Cheney is furious with them for for you know convincing the president to take this take this route seriously. As are a lot of the ideological. Um, partners of the administration on the neocon side of this, Richard Perle and, and and other folks have already spoken out quite publicly against the efforts of Rice and Gates and, and other parts of the administration to try to achieve a diplomatic outcome with Iran. Now, what is substantively flawed with the neocon presumption that Ahmadinejad is a madman, he's hell-bent on getting nuclear weapons, we can't let them have nuclear weapons, so we have to have an airstrike to deter that from happening. What is wrong with that approach? Ahmadinejad is is a is a is a political force in Iran of many other political forces. He is um, does not have a well consolidated political position, and recently we have lots overwhelming evidence that his influence is on the wane, uh, particularly with the uh, rise of his his hated political rival Rafsanjani. Uh, to the head of the Council of Experts inside Iran. So there are contending factions uh, gaming that out. What you would want to do is to not turn the most populist and and weak political force inside Iran, uh, the most prone to hyperbole, into the most validated. And striking Iran, I believe, will turn him into the most validated and, and enable that wing of Iranian politics to become the dominant feature of Iranian politics. So that is very worrying. Now, on Iran pursuing nuclear weapons, I believe that Iran in the long run and certain players in Iran are thinking that they, some of them may want nuclear warheads and weapons in hand uh, uh, eventually. Others want to position themselves to look kind of like Japan does, of having a full fuel cycle uh, nuclear process that can generate uh, a bomb, you know, in a year and a half or two years, but but just having that full fuel cycle process is something to do. And I think that there are others who genuinely want um, a nuclear program that is uh, designed for domestic energy use and consumption inside Iran. But because I've talked to Russian and Chinese and Israeli and French and German uh, analysts, all of whom I think have much better intelligence than we do uh, on Iran, and I think are much more sober about it, even the Israeli analysts are much more sober about it, um, I think that I do believe that there's some worrisome parts of Iran's political landscape that, that want nuclear weapons. I just think that we're but nowhere we're... near it, and there are lots of options to take Iran on a different course and to try to use both some incentives and some disincentives, but mostly incentives, to try to incentivize Iran moving in different directions that the international community can live with and try to produce an outcome that normalizes relations with Iran, take them out of this international doghouse and put them in a good track. Um, I think that's doable. I think it's less doable under the Bush administration uh, than, than a forthcoming administration, but we need to begin thinking along those lines. Looks like I'm losing friends. There's a lot of hostility in my end. We used to argue, always make up every friends. Now we settle disagreements uh, with the gang. Yeah. Looks like I'm losing mates. There's a lot of hostility near my gate. We used to fight with kids from other estates. Now eight millimeters settle debates. Woo! Looks like I'm losing sight because I'm looking at the future. It ain't 
ain't bright So I look out my window pray every night I thank God for my friends but they ain't tired yeah. Looks like I'm losing hope Cause I climb this mountain without road But I know I'm the captain of my boat So I steadily sail and hope not to blow But it's a brand new day New opportunities, what can I say? I plan to make my pay Some away for a hockey day It's a brand new day New opportunities, what can I say? Oh, I get so frustrated. You know what Hillary did? That stupid Lieberman Kyle amendment saying, "Yeah, whoop whoop, let's go attack Iran." Let's, what Jim Webb called uh, uh, Dick Cheney's wildest pipe dream. Hillary Clinton voted for it yesterday. I mean, you have her on one side, and then you see Bill Clinton on the other side, and people say, "Oh, Clinton, Clinton, it's the same thing." It's not the same thing, man. I don't know if you know this, but as she said in the debate last night, they're two different human beings. And I like the former President Clinton a lot better. A lot better. Voting for that Kyle Lieberman amendment saying, yeah, Iran is attacking us and we need to attack back. What the hell is the matter with you? And of course, as always, Barack Obama profiling courage, hiding in the corner. Didn't even vote. Two senators didn't vote. It was Obama and McCain. The two profiles in courage lately. Mr. Flip Flopper and Mr. Hide and Go Seek. So, uh, now, t- to be fair, fair, the Kyle Lieberman Amendment, <laughs> God, the Democrats drive me crazy. All right, I'm going to try to be as fair to them as I possibly can. It was atrocious. We read you paragraph three and paragraph four from yesterday where they say, you know, we authorize all military attacks against Iran. Which, I mean, that's it. You're saying you're giving the president authority to attack Iran. How much clearer could it be? So Reed was ready to pass it. He's like, oh, yeah, okay, come on, let's br- bring it up. And then Webb was like, what are you, an idiot? This is authorizing war against Iran. Senator Webb from Virginia. And Reed's like, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, that's, I guess, a slight problem. So they took out paragraphs three and four. Now, the rest of it's still, you know, incredibly belligerent towards Iran, totally useless. They already passed the sense of the Senate resolution 97 to nothing saying that Iran is attacking our troops. They added some more language to the Kyle Lieberman Amendment saying, oh, no, 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 we're really going to, Secretary Gates definitely says we're going to try economic and diplomatic uh, and diplomatic routes first okay you know what that means that means we're going to try them first oh look at that check check we tried them already now time for military solution 78 to 22 it passed easy super easy you think democrats are a real party they're pushovers you can get them to pass anything i mean they just got them to pass in the house and the senate a resolution condemning themselves forever being associated with the people trying to support them like move on we condemn our voters and our supporters. How dare they? We, and furthermore, Senator Lieberman in his infinite wisdom, the biggest hawk warmonger the Senate has ever seen, uh, wants to pass an amendment saying that Dick Cheney can attack Iran. Yeah, I'm in. I'm up. I'm staying. And, and Hillary Clinton voted for it.
Paul Craig Roberts, we were we were talking. You were talking about uh, concern that something would happen, another Reichstag fire, another 9/11 that would allow the Republicans in general and the Bush administration in particular to reconsolidate their power and uh, the national consensus around them. And uh, I'm, I'm sorry, we <laughs> commercial breaks. Uh, uh, continue that that train of thought and and what what we can do about it. Uh, impeachment doesn't seem to be something that's going to happen immediately. Uh, what what other options do we have, or or how should we pursue that? Well, um, the time short of impeachment, uh, the only thing that could be done is for for uh, a majority of the American people uh, to be more aware. Of, uh, of what's really going on and how these attacks uh, will be orchestrated, if necessary, in order to uh, save the Republican Party. Um, <clears throat> if enough people were suspicious and alert, it would be harder for the administration to get away with it. I don't think these wake-up calls are likely to be effective. Uh, one reason is um, what is known as the mainstream media is highly concentrated and controlled by about five uh, huge mega corporations that will not cross the government. And um, so you're not going to get any news out that way other than what the government wants out. So I don't know that we can do anything. I write and try to make people aware of how the world really works. Um, let me read you. In, in the break, I quickly pinned a um, speech that we'll like to hear from Bush before the next election and after the next attack. And, and uh, as I say, um, it's the administration predicting these attacks. Mm-hmm. Here's his speech. My administration knew that there would be more attacks from these terrorists who hate us and our way of life and are determined to destroy every one of us. If only more of you had believed me and supported my war on terror, these new attacks would not have happened. Our security efforts were impaired by the Democrats' determined attempts to surrender to the terrorists by forcing our withdrawal from Iraq and by civil libertarian assaults on our necessary security measures. If only more Americans had trusted their government, this would not have happened. Now that's what we're headed for. Yeah. Uh, either we either that's... headed for that or the total wipeout of the Republican Party, unless uh, all political wisdom, all past behavior of the electorate uh, toward unpopular administrations and elections, uh, somehow evaporates. Yeah, that kind of language is eerily reminiscent of Mein Kampf. Uh, uh, it's... It always worked. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, it's 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 uh, it's extraordinary. So See, let's Americans say that think, Americans think their danger is terrorists. They don't understand that the terrorists cannot take away habeas corpus, the Bill of Rights, the Constitution. They cannot suspend uh, the constitutional government, abolish the separation of powers. It can't pick them up and or shut them up or pick them up and arrest them. It the terrorists are not anything like the threat that we face to the Bill of Rights and the Constitution from our own government in the name of fighting 
terrorism. Americans just aren't able to perceive that, or at least not enough of them are. Mm-hmm. So, so you're suggesting that uh, given that the mainstream media isn't going to get behind this thing, and given that the majority of Americans are not going to be awake to it, and the old trick which has been used so many times going all the way back to Julius Caesar is going to work, uh, that that what we have to do is get these guys out of office before they have an opportunity to pull the trigger on this gun that they've already loaded with all these executive orders. In other words, impeach exactly, Bush and Cheney. Exactly. Bruce Fine, who was uh, an assistant attorney general, I think, in the Reagan administration, he's yeah. absolutely correct. Uh, if, if you notice, it's it's the Republicans like Bruce Fine, myself, Pat Buchanan is a diehard Republican. Just the other day, he published a piece saying that we are due for a new Gulf of Tonkin uh, event. They, that's why we've got three carrier strike forces in the congested waters off Iran. Yeah. Uh, it, it's, it's so obvious to people like us who have long been associated in the government, in the corridors of power, watching how it behaves, seeing everybody in the government chafe under every constraint that's imposed on them, and they always want to get rid of these constraints. And there's no, there's no belief uh, in the people or anything like that. They have agendas. The people are in the way. The Constitution's in the way. They're all willing to cut it down, to go chase after whatever agenda that they think is important. That's going to wrap it up for this week's episode of Best of the Left Podcast. Thanks for listening, everyone. Um, it's a new month, so vote for us over at Podcast Alley. If you haven't done so yet, dig us on dig.com. You can contact Jay still at hippiesympathizer at gmail.com. You can email me at admin at bestoftheleftpodcast.com. And I will be back soon with another show for you guys. Till then, peace. Black and white You took apart a picture that wasn't right Pitch burning on a shining sheet The only maker that you want to meet A dying man in a living room The shadow bases the floor Who take you out